church. And again, congratulations to our seniors. Uh, such a, a big accomplishment in your lives. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to recognize that accomplishment together with the church family present. I'm also thankful for the opportunity to preach this morning uh, to give one final charge to these seniors before they officially graduate. Um, several months ago, I asked for the opportunity to preach today on Grad Sunday. And ever since then, I struggled with, well, what am I going to choose to preach on? What do these kids need to hear the most? And uh, it made me think, you know, these kids that are transitioning to adulthood, that are transitioning to the workforce and college, what would be most appropriate for them to hear this morning? It transported me back to when I was a kid uh, in high school. I went to a baccalaureate service, uh, which is a religious service that's usually done for, for the students before they graduate. And a Methodist pastor got on stage and he took the podium and he pushed play and a Veggie Sales song came on, uh, which is uh, the pirates who don't do anything. And if you've never heard that song, it, is, uh, it goes something like, you know, we are the pirates who don't do anything. We just stay at home and lie around. And if you ask us to do anything, we just tell you we don't do anything. <laughs> just in case you've never heard it. Um, and his message to the graduating seniors was this. Don't sit on the couch and do nothing with your lives. But instead, go out and experience the world. Enjoy yourselves. Do whatever makes you happy. Just do you. At least make sure you're doing something. And so, though I didn't know what I was going to teach today, I knew for certain that I didn't want to say that, right? Um, that's a foolish counsel. That's foolish counsel. That's godless counsel. It's me-centered. It's world-centered. To love the world or to love our flesh is to not love God, 1 John 2.15. So this morning, I wanted to give wise counsel for wise living, not just to the teens, but to the whole body, to the church, because wisdom is precious and valuable, the scriptures say. In fact, let me just give you a few scriptures that talk about the wisdom and its value. Proverbs 3.13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Ecclesiastes 7.19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Or Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Or Proverbs 24, 14, know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. There are many more texts that I could read this morning, but you get the point. Wisdom is precious and valuable to us all. So I wanted to take us to a text this morning that would instruct us on how to take purposeful steps towards wisdom. And that text is going to be Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. So please turn over in your Bibles with me to Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. And as you're turning, because we're parachuting into this text, I think it's helpful to know that this section of Ephesians that we're parachuting into deals with practical living and imperatives. Ephesians 1 through 3 is very theological, filled with indicatives and statements about who God is and who we are before God. 
And Ephesians chapter 4 through 6 is more practical, filled with commands on how we are to live, putting that theology found in chapters 1 through 3 on display in chapters 4 through 6. And if you just look at chapter 4 with me real quick, um, chapter 4 verse 1, Paul says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So that transition there that Paul gives to us. Again, Ephesians 1 through 3 talks about that calling, and chapters 4 through 6 talks about living in light of that calling. And look at that word in chapter 4, verse 1. It says walk. It's a metaphor for how we live our lives. That is one of five walks found between chapters 4 and 5. And if you split it up into sections, it would look like this. Walking in unity, walking in holiness, walking in love, walking in light, and then our text, walking in wisdom. So with that, let's read our text together. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the people here this morning And I pray for these teens transitioning to adulthood. I pray that whatever their direction, whatever their plans might be in the future, that they would seek primarily to glorify you all the days of their life. And that they would seek this wisdom that we're about to dig into today from the text. And that you would use this text to transform our lives and our hearts all according to your glory and grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Paul in this text is going to instruct us on how we are to walk in wisdom. And before we get too much farther, I think it would be helpful for us to clarify what it means when we say wisdom, biblically speaking. When we see the word wisdom in the Bible, is it mere intellect that we're referring to? Is this wisdom measured by our SAT scores of today? Personally, I hope not, because my SAT scores were terrible. Wisdom has nothing to do with your IQ, but it has everything to do with living holy lives before the Lord. It's walking in the path of righteousness. It's walking or living in such a way that it brings, uh, your life brings uh, uh, God honor and, and glory. One who is wise is one who lives moment by moment in light of the person and work of God. You could break wisdom down just into two parts, truth and holiness. Truth and holiness. You can't have wisdom without truth, and you can't be wise without putting that truth into action. The opposite of what it means to be wise is obviously to be a fool. And the scripture is very clear on what it means to be a fool. Psalm 14, verse 1's definition is the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And because they do not acknowledge God, they do not live for God. And that, therefore, is foolish living because we know that such a life has eternal consequences. 
Foolishness is where we either are now or where we all came from, right? I was a fool. I was walking by the lusts of my flesh. I was immoral. I was impure. I was greedy. I was idolatrous. I was lost in darkness, as the previous text says in Ephesians. But God has shown the light of the gospel in my heart. And he needed to shine the light of the gospel in my heart because I was that foolish. I was carelessly going this way and that way, whichever way my heart led me. And that's a problem because what does the Bible say about our hearts? That they're wicked and desperately sick. It's important to establish that wisdom is not found internally, but externally. It's not found in our person, but rather it's found in the only person who can bring us into a right relationship with God, and that is Christ Jesus himself. Biblical wisdom is ultimately found in Christ. People in the world say all the time, you know, just trust your heart. You know, let your heart guide you. Seniors, you might hear this at your, your grad parties or your open houses in the, in the future upcoming weeks. You know, they might, people might, uh, well-meaning people might say to you, you know, if you ever find yourself in a bind in, in these upcoming years, just trust your heart. As well-meaning as that is, that is foolish counsel because, again, our hearts are sinful and wicked. John Street, a biblical counselor, he had this to say. Well-meaning voices can be heard telling you to trust your heart or follow your heart, words you've likely heard or read since you were a child. The latest societal push towards this dangerous advice asserts that you cannot be truly authentic or genuine until you trust your own heart. Trusting your feelings and, and, and allowing them to dictate your choices is the dogma of the day. Further, this culture says you must self-identify because surely your own heart would not mislead you. A self-determined reality is the only trustworthy reality, according to the philosophical trendsetters. This social construction of reality theory declares that you cannot rely on anything external to yourself. You can trust only self. It's not difficult to see how the push for self-defining ideology is fueling a culture of self-indulgence and self-gratification. This is the heart turned in on itself, leaving havoc in its wake. The fool will trust in his or, own, uh, his or her own heart, but on the contrary, the wise will trust in the Lord and on his word. And so, in Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, I believe that there's seven steps here that we can take in order to walk in wisdom, to bring God glory with our lives. Seven steps that, can, that we can take in order to walk in wisdom. Let's look more closely at verse 15 together. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Step number one, watch where you're going. Look out. Watch where you're going. The text says, look carefully how you walk. The verb there is in the present tense, which means that the believer or the one who is wise should make a habit out of taking careful and thoughtful and selective steps. Seeking to walk well and accurately that we might not slip or sin against the Lord. I think of a, a tightrope 
when I think of this verse. Have you ever seen those guys? Man, they're on like skyscrapers and they've got one rope on one end and, and another rope attached to the building on the other end and they're so high up and they've got, you know, they've got those big sticks or something that they're using and each step, each step that they take, it's, it's thoughtful, it's careful, and it's selective, isn't it? They're seeking to land each step because if they were to fall, that would, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? Yeah. And that's walking in wisdom. What would it do to our every day, to our every day, if in everything that we said and did, we did it carefully and selectively, hoping that in all things we could bring glory to the Lord? Sometimes the monotony of life, right, our every day, we can just kind of be on autopilot, you know, and not, and not think this way. This is such a, a key step to walking in wisdom. Why? Well, I think we can illustrate that with the person Solomon. King Solomon, I think, is a perfect example. When did Solomon become king of Israel? When he was young, right? When he was young. And he goes to God when he, when he takes on the kingdom, and, 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 he, and he prays for wisdom. In 1 Kings 3, 7 through 9, he says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon, in his young age, asks for God for wisdom. And how does God respond? 1 Kings 4.29 says that God gave Solomon the understanding beyond measure the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, God gave Solomon wisdom in abundance, right? And if check this out. In verse 34, it says, And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So God gave him so much wisdom, wisdom in abundance, that people from all over the world were coming to, to seek Solomon's wisdom. And we even benefit from this wisdom, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. But what do we have? We have three books authored uh, by Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, right? But what do we know about Solomon? What do we know about Solomon? His life got a little messy, didn't it? Got a little complicated, there was some foolishness there. Despite being so wise, he failed to walk carefully, which led him to make some rather foolish decisions with his life. It's fair to say that Solomon got comfortable and complacent. In Deuteronomy 17, long, a text written long before Solomon, there's a list of restrictions for the future kings of Israel. The future king of Israel was, was not to acquire, uh, they weren't to acquire many horses or take multiple wives or to have excessive amounts of gold or silver. And the reason for that is, is God didn't want the future kings of Israel to depend on wealth and riches or, or military strength. They, it was intended, uh, these restrictions, to make the, the future king of Israel depend on their heavenly king, Right? And yet, look at Solomon. He broke every single one of those restrictions. And what happened as a result of such foolishness? 1 Kings 11.4 records for us, For when Solomon was old, 
His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. You see this? Even the wisest man, right? Even the wisest man, if not careful, can fall prey to foolishness. This is why step number one is so critical. Step number one, watch where you're going. Let's look at verse 16 for step two. Making the best use of the time, the text says, because the days are evil. Step number two, redeem the time. Redeem the time. It's an interesting word that Paul uses here in the context of time. Uh, It means to buy or purchase back something. Uh, I, I personally love using this phrase when it comes to Wednesday nights with teens. Um, for parents uh, and parents of the teens, um, you get to see your kids every single day. And you're like, yeah, I get to see my kids every single day. But you get to see your kids every single day, right? And, and, but for me, uh, most, most weeks, I only get to see them for a few hours on a Wednesday night. And so I'm seeking to redeem that time with those teens, to be able to, to, to utilize that time that I do have with them uh, to, to the best of my ability, right? To buy back that lost time. And walking in wisdom is utilizing every opportunity to do what is good unto the Lord. And this is especially important, living in, in, in what the context here says, the days that are evil. Because of sin, our days on earth are limited, right? Uh, Nate Talbot has been teaching the teens uh, the book, uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, I've been teaching through Daniel. But Ecclesiastes, again, is authored by Solomon, and the theme of Ecclesiastes is vanity, which doesn't mean worthlessness. It means like a a puff of smoke, a vapor. And oftentimes you'll see, and in the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, you see vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanities, right? And And I believe Solomon writes Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. And, he's, and, he's, and he writes the book, and he's looking back, as we oftentimes do. And he's recognizing that life is like a, a puff of smoke. It's, it's like a, a vapor. And what happens when we try to, to put our hands around a puff of smoke? Eventually, what will happen? It'll dissipate. Same is true with our lives. They are temporary. Compare, church, the length of your life Whatever, however long that is, if it's 120 years, if it's 130 years, to the length of eternity. And then tell me your life isn't vanity, right? Tell me your life isn't like a puff of smoke. Therefore, the wise person will seek to redeem the time and make good use of every day for God's glory, recognizing that we've been put here to live for God and spread his truth to a world that rejects him. Sometimes I'll tell the youth on Wednesday nights, I'll say, how would you guys live if you only had one week left? If you only had one week left to live, how would you live it? Would you just be like kind of hanging out and wasting a whole bunch of time? No. I wouldn't want to waste, every moment would be so precious, right? You probably have it all planned out. But again, compare your days to eternity and live in light of that. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 39, verses 4 through 5, had that same thought and same heart when he writes, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. 
Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Friends, church family, graduating seniors, your life is but a few hand breaths. And so how are you going to live it? Paul would say here to walk in wisdom, to watch where you're going, and to redeem the time. Let's look at verse 17 for our next step. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Step number three, know God's will. Know God's will. God's will is revealed to us through his what? Through his word. Um, I remember as a senior, I remember wrestling with this. I wrestled with this uh, at Agnosium. I'd say, you know, man, if God just told me what to do, I'd do it, you know? Uh, if God just told me to, to go into the military, I'd learn how to shoot a gun, and I would go, you know? If he told me to be a plumber, I would, I don't know, I'd know nothing about pipes or anything, but I would learn, and I would go do that. If God told me to, to, to go to school, I would sign up in the fall. And I was, it was as if I was waiting for God to speak audibly to me or show me some sort of sign. But I saw nothing and heard nothing. And obviously God's word was sitting off to the side when I was wondering these things. But, but, but it's, it's in God's word that we, we learn what his will is for us. 1 Corinthians 10.31, one of my favorite passages. Paul says, whatever you eat, drink, or whatever you do, you fill in the blank. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. There is freedom in the occupation that we desire to pursue as long as we can do that occupation for the glory of God. It's that simple. You want to be a garbage man? Great. What's God's will for your life? To bring him glory, right? To do that all for his glory. Think about with me the, the Pharisees. Uh, we've been learning about this group of people. Uh, PD's been in Luke uh, for a bit now. And he's talked to us, and, and we've learned about these, these group of people. These are a group of guys that had a revered occupation. They had God's word. They handled God's word. They studied God's word. They're all about making other people keep God's word. But Luke 11.37 is, is helpful, I think, to us this morning. It says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he, had, he did not first wash before dinner. <gasps> And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Then Jesus says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Jesus calls this religious man a fool. Why? Because inwardly he was full of rotten flesh. He was full of greed and wickedness. Though one might assume that this Pharisee did, uh, was doing the will of God due to his, his job, we get an inside look at his, at his heart and we find out, nope. No, this man is, is not wise because he's not living according to the will of God, which is found in his word. The will of God is revealed through his word. And, and I want you to notice the way that it's written here. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not mere intellect that Paul is, is saying that we should be after. You know, we're, we're not seeking to just ace all the Bible quizzes here. But rather, Paul is saying know or comprehend. Again, using a present tense verb, means, meaning that we should be making this a habit in our lives to, to, to seek to understand the, 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 the word of God in such a way that it changes the way that we live our lives. The will of God is exclusively found in the word of God. And I feel like, 
and I said that a lot of times, but I feel like sometimes we think that it could be found somewhere else. That, that we can get, you know, some, some, I've heard some parents say, you know, or have this kind of a thought process that, you know, by sending their kids to school, that they're, they're, that, that they're somehow going to get a better understanding of what is right and what is wrong. You know, that colleges will bring the wisdom and maturing that is lacking in the life of our kids today. And I don't think college is bad. I went to college. But let me caution you that that's not primarily where wisdom is found. There was a pastor at the past, uh, this past Shepherds Conference, which is a pastor's conference in, in Los Angeles, um, that had to say this about kids and colleges today. He said, look, we desperately have to capture this young generation There's got to be a remnant coming out of this messed up generation of young people. They are so self-centered, so narcissistic, so sexually overexposed, such perversion. We got to get serious about that. And you just can't and you can't just throw them to the education system because the university may be the most dangerous place. I'd rather put my kid in San Quentin than in university. San Quentin is a prison in San Francisco. There's Such a contradictory message found in most colleges and universities today. And it's even found its way into Christian universities and schools. But walking in wisdom, church, it doesn't, it it comes through the authority found in the scriptures, not in the authority of of, of professors, schools. Seniors, uh, Debbie, Mrs. P, you know, she beat me to it but a great God's will for my life first to commit to memory. And maybe you heard it up here, but now you have the opportunity to write it down. Is that Proverbs chapter three, five through six. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not some, but all. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Great text. Steps we've covered so far. Watch where you're going. Redeem the time. Know God's will. Let's keep rolling. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Step number four, being Spirit-filled. Wine was the staple drink in Paul's day, just as coffee is the staple drink for our church. Can I get an amen? There are many today in our world that are ruled by alcohol and substances, just as was the case in the ancient world. Uh, Drunkenness is rebuked oftentimes in the scriptures, and it's the epitome of foolishness. Anyone who's ever seen anyone drunk can testify to this. Um, Approximately 90,000 people a year die from becoming drunk. Think about that. 90,000 lives end prematurely due to alcohol. And it was just such foolishness. One who becomes drunk cannot walk carefully. They cannot redeem the time. And they can't discern much of anything. Again, it's foolishness. And then, but if you look at the text, Paul gives us a big contrast here. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But in contrast, be filled with the Spirit. What does Paul say should have control over our lives? The Spirit. Not drugs, not alcohol, but the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. And I keep bringing this up, but it's, it's, it's vitally important, especially here. The verb here to be filled is in that present imperative, meaning it's a constant filling. 
which is commanded of us. It's a constant filling. He, Paul isn't talking about that one moment filling that we get at, at justification, but the moment when we put our trust in Christ. He's not talking about that moment where the Spirit indwells within the believer. And we also have to be careful because Paul's not saying here that we need to, to somehow get more and more of the Spirit in our lives, right? We, we need to keep living more and more obediently in order to get the Spirit to, to, to fill our lives more and more. I don't think that's what he's saying either. I think this is gold, what this commentator said. He said, each Christian has all of the Spirit. And that happens at the moment of justification, at the moment we put our faith in Christ. Each Christian has all the Spirit, but the command here is that the Spirit must have all of him. You hear that? Each Christian has all the Spirit, but the command here is that the Spirit must have all of him. This filling points to the continuous work of the Spirit in our lives. Can we quench or grieve the work of the Spirit? Yes, we can, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.19 and Ephesians 4.30 says just that. But Paul in Galatians calls us to do what? To walk in the Spirit. And what comes as a result of such a walk? The fruits of the Spirit, right? Under his influence. A wise walk is a walk that is controlled by the Spirit. And without his help, church, there would be no hope of walking wisely before the Lord. It's only by his help that we can walk carefully, redeem the time, and understand the will of the God through his divine illumination. Next, let's look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Step five, have one another worship. Have one another worship. The word addressing here is just a general word for speaking. And in this case, Paul is talking about using our mouths to praise the Lord. Let me tell you, when our church, it's so much fun. When our church, it, to, to come to Sunday and to hear our church lift up, their voices to, to sing praise to God. It is such an encouragement to my heart and soul. And that has nothing to, to do with me leading worship here on a Sunday morning. But it's just, it's, it's so neat to be able to hear you from, from your hearts sing praises to God. There's not another day like that in, in the whole week that we have that is like Sunday and the opportunity to do that together. The church is intended to be a God-given means of sanctification. The church is what helps us grow. It's one of the ways in which uh, it, it helps us grow to become more and more like Christ. And that's why we're called not to forsake the assembly of the believers. If you are forsaking the assembly of the believers, you are stunting your growth. And when it comes to music, music is a means by which we minister to each other as we worship the Lord through song. We have three words here, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's believed that the psalms here are referring to Old Testament, the Old Testament Psalter, and that hymns are the songs of praise that were differentiated between, uh, they weren't those, those Old Testament psalms, but rather they were just regular songs used to exalt the, the Lord. And spiritual songs could have been uh, dealing with personal testimony, expressing uh, truths about grace and mercy and salvation through the work of Christ. And you see the phrase, in making melody. It's believed to be literally meaning putting these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to stringed instruments, accompaniment. Uh, these instruments are not sinful. Uh, the Catholic Church used to, to, to believe, they, they used to believe that singing and instruments were, were evil. But they would argue with this text then. They would have to. 
Notice also the direction and heart when it comes to the corporate, to our corporate worship. There is both a corporate and personal aspect to our Sunday worship. You see that? Making melody to the Lord with your heart. The direction of our worship is directed, okay? It's directed to the Lord. It's not directed to this uh, on stage. It's not directed to you in the pews, okay? But it's directed vertically. It's directed uh, to, to the Lord. From where? From our hearts, right? When you come to church and you don't feel like singing, think about this. When you don't feel like singing when you come to church, you're robbing the body of that ministry. Think about that. And, 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 and I don't say that to make anyone feel bad, but to encourage you to be prayed up and, and ready to go. Um, you know, the, the pastors or anyone who's serving at church on a Sunday, it's not only up to them to be prepared for Sunday, but it, I've heard PD say that before, and it's, it's really good encouragement. Everyone ought to be prepared to come and worship together on a Sunday, as it is encouraging to be able to, to praise the Lord together. Wise living is done together in the context of a church family who is devoted to the word, will, and worship of God. Step so far, watch where you're going, redeem the time, uh, know the will of God, be spirit-filled, have one another worship, and let's look at verse 20. It says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks, giving thanks. Verse 20 calls, to give, uh, calls us to give thanks always and for everything. Did, 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 did Paul go a little overboard when he said, for always, uh, always and everything here? That's, that's, that's kind of a lot. But if you've ever read the book of Ephesians through, you would see that always and everything is absolutely appropriate. Chapter one of Ephesians, this is gonna get me excited, but chapter one alone, right? It says that the Father has chosen us before the foundation of the world that we be blameless and holy before him in love, right? He, he adopts us as his children forever, forever. And all because the Son has redeemed us through his blood and the Spirit has guaranteed our salvation by indwelling within the believer all to the praise of his glory. Look at verse, if you look at chapter one, verse three, Paul tells us how blessed we are in verse three, that we were blessed beyond belief. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You go to chapter two, verses one through three. It says that we're dead, blind, and children of wrath. But then you get to verse four, but God, right? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, something that you get but you don't deserve. By grace you have been saved. And wait, there's more. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your doing, it is the gift of God. Always and everything is very appropriate when it comes to verse 20. Wise living is a life that should be drenched in gratitude for who God is and what he has done for us. Even when times are difficult, right? Giving thanks always for everything, both good and bad. I had to dig deep to find this. Uh, there was a scholar that said something that was, uh, I think he's, he's dead now, an old dead guy, we say. Um, they have the, sometimes the best quotes 
Um, and, and, and he says this, the injunction, hear, hear this out, the injunction to give thanks always and for everything presupposes a deep underlying faith that God can produce good out of even the most unpromising situation and that thankfulness, therefore, can be felt because of the confident hope that in some wonderful way, God will make even disaster and suffering an occasion for later blessing. That's gold. When our hearts are found wanting, when there's a lack of gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts, we are so prone to foolishness. How so? When we lack thankfulness, we oftentimes lack contentment, right? When we aren't content and are longing for something to make us content, what are we going to pursue? A contentment that's outside of God's will, right? Which is a fake contentment that doesn't bring true contentment but misery. For instance, just take one example. If you grow discontent with being single and living purely before the Lord, you'll often seek contentment outside of the will of God. And for example, that might look like you know, being unequally yoked or having premarital sex or participating in pornography. Do, they, do any of those things bring true contentment? No, only misery. I was told this most of my life and my upbringing. You know, sin promises much. Sin promises much, but it never owns up to what it promises. Never owns up to what it promises. On the contrary, God, he promises us eternal blessing beyond our wildest dreams, and he never fails to keep his promises. When our hearts are filled with thankfulness, we are choosing to be content in his promises and in his future blessings. And so walking in wisdom has so much to do with us being thankful. what to leave in, what to leave out. And looking at, just, just real quickly, look with this phrase that, that, that comes right after it. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says God and Father. The word Father there shows that he's not just this, 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 this powerful, impersonal deity, but that because of, of Christ, God is our Father and, and we are his children. And we can be thankful for that, right? And then look at in the name, just that phrase. Shows the, the believer's position in Christ. Positionally, we are his because of what Christ has done for us. We can be thankful for that. The pronoun, really? The pronoun, yes. Uh, look at, to God the Father in the name of our. What is the our, the pronoun, what does that express? It expresses possession, right? It shows our special relationship that we have with Christ because, again, of what he's done for us. We can be thankful the word Lord, for believers, we are no longer slaves to the God of this world, but slaves to Christ, which means we are free to live for him. Again, thankfulness. All right, final step. Step seven. It's found right here in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So far, we looked at careful steps or watching where you're going. Redeem the time. Know the will of God. Be spirit-filled. Have one another worship. Get giving thanks, and step seven, we, we've made it, all right? Submitting to authority, submitting to authority. Think of rebellion. People say that rebellion is like an American thing, but rebellion against authority isn't American. It's just human, right? It's in our nature. Uh, there's a big thing called pride, and we all have it. We all have it. 
But Paul calls for the church to walk in wisdom by submitting to, to, to get this, God-given authorities out of reverence for Christ. And later in this text, Paul is going to call wives to submit to husbands. He's going to call children to submit to parents. And he's going to call for employees to submit to employers. And why does he do that? I think two reasons. To humble us, number one, and, to submit, and for us to submit to him as our ultimate authority. Think about humility. What would it do to our church? What, what would it do to our churches today if our churches were more humble? How many church splits would be avoided if we treated one another as if they're more important than ourselves? And yet in Christ's church, there are many who see themselves as greater than others around them. But before God, but before God, we are equal in every way, Galatians 3.28 says. Every authority is under Christ. And if he calls for us to submit to, 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 to God-given authorities that he, that he creates for us, then, then we should submit because that's his will for us. And in doing so, we are submitting ultimately to him as Lord of our life. Closing up here. Walking in wisdom, seven steps. Watch where you're going, redeem the time, know God's will, be spirit-filled, have one another worship, give thanks, and submit to authority. This is what it is in this passage to walk wise before the Lord. The question is, what are you gonna do with it? Proverbs 24, 14 says, know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. The world may change as we've seen it do and it will continue to do, right? It's gonna get darker. It might seem hopeless at times, but walking in wisdom promises hope and a future no matter what direction the world takes. Graduates, I think that verse, that, that, that verse, I want to give it to you just one more time. You've heard it three times today. If you haven't written it down now, write it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Before I ask the band to come up to, to sing, Be Thou My Vision, seniors, you can make your way to the hallway, take a position at your tables, and, and let me just encourage you, church, as you leave today, be sure to encourage these, these young people who are transitioning uh, into the next phase of their, their life. Ben, will you come up and lead us in a, a few verses of Be Thou My Vision?